Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to your latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Carroll, and I'm joined today by Dave Prentice and Gav Buckland. Lads, how are we? Absolutely average. Gav? Uh, average. Average? Yeah. Looks like uh, I'm bringing the, the average age down a little bit for this podcast today. <laughs> oh, my ah. dear, here we go. First, <laughs> first dig. Yeah, ten, yeah. Seconds <laughs> ten seconds in. Ten seconds in, yeah. <laughs> Not to do a spread best about this, Sam. Like, yeah. We can I'm, offer the wealth of experience and wisdom that you can't. Yeah. So. We are missing a, a few faces today. Obviously, Adam Jones still on a on holiday and Phil Kirkbride in Kenya. Prenna, would you like to swap places with Phil right now? Being oh, be in Kenya, a, covering in, the blues? In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. I mean, uh, some of the, the you know, the, the most enjoyable parts of doing the job when I was the Everton correspondent were the pre-season tours. Um, Switzerland, uh, Sweden, Germany, you know, so Holland, Belgium, you know, they like to do it around Europe back then. Uh, nothing quite as exotic as Kenya. In fact, I think when I got the Chief Sports Writers gig the following year, uh, Greg went to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just missed those. But no, the Greys. And clearly when I was doing it, it was back in the days when you can actually travel with the team and you can develop relationships with players and with the managers and what have you. Very, very different now. Greg, uh, Phil's had to go out. Um, I think he's gone with the Everton media people, hasn't he? He's yeah. gone out here. So he, uh, he, made, he made the newspaper in Kenya. If, I don't know if you've seen that. No, go on. They had like a picture of uh, the Everton playing London. Yeah. And it, it said like... Uh, Everton media team and Phil Kirkbride from Liverpool Echo lands in Kenya and there was just a picture of Phil carrying the suitcase. No, it's great. I mean, it's an opportunity to do something that you wouldn't normally do. You know, so if you're going to go to Kenya, I suspect Nairobi is probably not the place that you'd choose to visit. You know, you'd go to some of the more tourist destinations. uh, But no, it'd be a great experience and an opportunity to see a bit of football again. It seems like only yesterday that the season finished, but we're starting again on Sunday. And uh, I love it. I love love pre-season. It's uh, really entertaining. You you ever got yourself to a pre-season tour, Gav? Uh, no. No? No, for fact, I don't think I've ever seen us in a pre-season away game, uh, to be fair. Uh, not even uh, your, your Betty down the road or anything like that? No, no, not not for me. Not for me. I, I normally like do, preparing my stats for the, uh, the following, <laughs> following season. But Preno's right. I mean, I remember like you covering like, in, like Switzerland and yeah. stuff. And it, there was always like less regulated oh, yeah. times, you know. Well, they always used to have one or two, you know, if you like trial players that were there, yeah. that, you know, you'd... Get people excited. Jack de Geer in Switzerland, who was nicknamed the Vulture, who uh, had this like mad, big, mad, bushy permed hair and scores against this like, you know, Swiss minnow. He's been 1 5 1. But Howard clearly didn't like the look of him because he never bought him. Sean Brooks was another one who was uh, on trial, supposed to be a real tidy midfielder. Jan Eriksson, remember the Swedish centre yeah. half, scored against England in Euro 92, I think it was. And he turned up, and I don't think he took to Everton, and Everton never took to him. But, you know, these all added a bit of appeal. Alan McAnally's one. Who, Alan uh, McAnally, on, yeah, on prison. yeah. And uh, Samuel Ipua, I think it was, who scored the only goal of the game down at Yeovil, who was like a big, powerful centre-forward. Again, that never came off. But yeah. Yeah, I love that. Just all that's a little bit of a, you know, intrigue, bit of mystery. Don't seem to get that yeah. anymore these days. His favourite one, but I think it was just, maybe just before you started covering, but I'm sure you were when we played Hamlin. 
right in Germany and I think it was 91 or 92 not going to say Saunders no no the Pied no no the Pied the Pied Piper of Hamlin you know like was was like sort of a centenary or like 200 years or something and they had mascots before the game dressed up as rats to, to acknowledge the thing, shaking shake hands with, with the with team. Kevin yeah, and you imagine that Neville's also look at this day yeah. of like, yeah, and it was just mad. But there was always, there was always something like little, you know, little well, quirky one, thing going yeah. on. You Th- know? That one I mentioned then, Dean Saunders and Mark Wright. I mean, that was in the summer when Everson believed that they'd shaken hands on a deal with Graham Souness at Liverpool, yeah. that they would target Dean Saunders, Liverpool would target Mark Wright because both were leaders even Derby and uh, Liverpool got wind of the fact that Dean Saunders wasn't too you know so you know unenthusiastic about him following Mark Wright to Liverpool so despite having shaken hands on this deal uh, Everson believed they had Saunders actually put him down on a team sheet there's a team sheet out there with Dean Saunders on it really? for right, a pre-season okay. game in oh gosh yeah, Ken Rogers went on that tour I think it was in Germany and it was only when Ken rang the office and he found out that no 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 Saunders is actually in Liverpool now he's actually having talks and Howard went ballistic and uh, it's a family podcast it's a can't tell you the, uh, the kind of language you used to come. But he made Ken sit in the room while he tried to get hold of that individual, Mr. Saunders, to have a conversation with him. Very wisely, Dean didn't answer the phone. <laughs> but yeah, pre-season always throws up something a little bit unusual. Yeah, because I mean, I don't know we've got other things to discuss, but years ago before, like, you know, the internet and all that, they, I think they went to Japan, didn't they, in 81 and, yeah. and, and Australia, I think. Well, they were in the season tours, weren't they, Japan? Yeah, Japan, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. And you'd have a little, the only way you find out, remember, like, there's a little line in the echo, because exactly. nobody out there. Yeah. There's not, no press or anything out there. It was like, like, it must have been playing on the moon for all you know about it. Like, well, you know? I, I was researching, obviously, ever since previous trips to Africa, because obviously Tanzania a couple of years ago, Kenya this time, and there have been previous trips but absolutely bizarre. In the late 70s, they went to Egypt and Libya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Colonel Gaddafi's Libya. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Charles Lambert went from this place. And again, I was like going through the old match reports and they were playing on what they called a carpet. It must have been AstroTurf. Uh, you know, so apparently it didn't do the, the legs particularly good. Uh, they played the Czech national team over there and the Libyan national team. And then on the way back, apparently uh, the customs officials at the airport gave them very quizzical looks because they'd all been gifted these huge big rugs to bring back with them. <laughs> so they're trying to take these rugs back through customs. Just yeah. different days. <laughs> mad, mad. Uh, obviously, just to, to stick with pre-season for a moment, then the, the intrigue this weekend, I think, will be that, you know, it doesn't look like a, a, a large majority of the of the first-team squad will, will go back, so it will be an opportunity to see, you know, we'll see Jonas Lossell and, and, and Andre Gomez, I think, as well, and a, and a few young lads. So do you think a lot of Evertonians will, will hold an interest in, in the game? 100%. That, that's the beauty of some of these earlier games because uh, an awful lot of the international footballers won't be involved. They haven't travelled. So you see some of the younger players. And if you remember the excitement that we had, it was a two summers ago when Kieran Dowell, um, you know, excelled in pre-season scored a couple of wonderful goals and you thought is this going to be the season you can make the breakthrough yeah. uh, obviously it wasn't uh, he went on loan and did very well but wasn't quite considered ready for Premier League football you'll see something similar this time round you'll see some of the younger players I don't know if has Fraser Hornby gone I'm not sure but you know yeah, he has been training with the first team yeah so, so. you know you just, you just see young players that have made a bit of a name in the under 23s getting an opportunity you know so yeah. in the first team and alright you know so it, it's a Kenyan team that Emerson should do okay against uh, but it just gives him a bit of profile. It gives him an opportunity to impress Marco Silva and his staff. And yeah, I like that. That again, that's one of the major bonuses of preseason. Yeah, I remember the Jose Baxter score on the screen was a nothing fast. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I remember yeah, that yeah, 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 preseason. Yeah. And he was playing yeah. right at the start when the youngest player was. Starting against West Brom, didn't he? Yeah. So I mean, yeah, there's always opportunities. I think for somebody to make the name for themselves. 
Moving on then, we'll uh, have a little look. Prano, this week you, you wrote a piece that was called Evans New Stadium, UNESCO and the Myth of World Heritage Site, site Status. Yeah. Everton's influence would actually preserve and enhance the area as a historical site. UNESCO would sit hardly by while it continues to rot. There's been a lot of talk about this on, on social media and, and amongst supporters. Prano, it's a bizarre situation, really, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's, it's just absolutely ludicrous, really. I mean, I know we, we spoke to people at Everton and we were made aware that there was going to be a big UNESCO uh, committee meeting uh, at this time of year. Uh, it was due to conclude, I think tomorrow it actually concludes, but they've already you know, sort of published you know, a couple of statements basically saying that Liverpool's World Heritage Site status is at risk. And it's at risk because Peel Holdings want to enhance and rebuild on the north end of the docks and Everton have got the temerity to want to turn a dilapidated and derelict uh, dock front into a new stadium whilst preserving many and improving many, many elements of the that docklands heritage. And so for UNESCO to call, you know, so Everton's and Peel's plans, you know, so at risk, because of something that's trying to improve the area, I find absolutely baffling. At the moment, that end of the docks is derelict. The public can't walk on there. The, the public can't enjoy this, you know, sort of heritage and yeah. this, you know, sort of these historical artifacts. They will be able to do so, you know, so sort of if Everton plans get the go ahead. There's a hydraulic tower there, which uh, Everton wants to renovate and repurpose. They don't know what for yet. Talk about it maybe being a museum, you know, sort of house items from the Everton collection and other things. Talk about it possibly being, a, you know, sort of a docks heritage, you know, sort of centre. Uh, but that can't be done unless you know, Everton get the go-ahead. If they don't, it'll just fall into disrepair. And I compared it to the Albert Dock because, uh, you know, so as you so kindly mentioned at the start of the podcast, myself and Gabbard of a certain vintage. <laughs> and, and, and we remember the Albert Dock when it was derelict. Uh, and I referenced the boys from the Black Stuff, that really poignant, uh, you know, George's Last Ride episode where he's a retired docker who's, you know, so on his last legs and he's being pushed by his mate Chrissy around the, the Albert Dock. And it's sad when, apart from the storyline itself being really heartbreaking, but actually seeing the Albert Dock as it was then. Yeah. And it was, it was just a, a derelict, abandoned, depressing site. And there was, there was talk with demolition. Uh, and eventually it got, it was preserved by Liverpool City Council and the Merseyside Development Corporation was created in 1981 to renovate it. Literally six years later, it was just a tourist attraction to behold. ITV put their studios there. It was so impressive. Yeah. Uh, the Tate decided to build a gallery there, the first one outside of London because it was so good. Uh, Merseyside Maritime Museum was created in the space of six years. It was absolutely remarkable. And that's the kind of thing that Peel Holdings and Everton want to do uh, up at the northern end of the docks at Bramley Moor. And so for UNESCO to say that Everton, you know, so, oh, sorry, Everton are putting the city's world heritage status, you know, in, at risk, I just find really strange and really bewildering. And let's face it, what does world heritage status bring to the city? I looked at the four other centres that are at risk. Vienna. Would you not go to Vienna because it's at risk? Yeah. The Florida Everglades. <laughs> I don't think they're going to struggle you know, because it's at risk on you know, the world heritage you know, uh, sites websites as a, you know, an area of, you know, whatever it is, whatever the crazyology is they use. Um, it's nice to have, it's a prestigious title. I don't dispute that, but threatening to take it away yeah. because Everton are trying to do something which will enhance and preserve the area. I do find very, very strange. Gavin, I mean, Prenno's just wiped the floor with UNESCO. I don't know if you want to I'm going to wipe the floor in. further. Yeah, I can <laughs> tell you what Dave's saying. It, it, the whole thing's baffling. I, I get it if, if, if there was something that was there that people went to see yeah. and it was like a tourist attraction yeah. and, and obvious, you know... Maybe people love just going to see rubble the and... The heritage <laughs> was there that you could see and you could, you know, something of value. I could, I could see the point, but as 
Dave was saying, you, you can't see, you can't see anything. I mean, Evan are actually preserving it, by at least preserving it. And I was looking at a report that was done. A bit of, you ever think some of the things you have to research and look at things for, like for the pods. And I was looking at something that I think one of the big accounting firms did for the governments a few years ago about like what are the benefits of like um, world heritage status. And one of them is it will. Uh, Enable you to attract investment from <laughs> the private sector into right, your area. Well, so well, hang on a minute. <laughs> well, that's obviously not the case, is it? Um, or if if it does, you've got to jump through a whole load of hoops to the, get the, there. The Pearl so. Holdings investments is five and a half billion yeah. in that part of the uh, the docks. And ultimately, ultimately, there's a lot of grandstanding, isn't there, that goes on and this type of stuff. But ultimately, you do you do real. You know, you do wonder whether it's worthwhile. I think the danger for Everton, though, which is something hopefully that won't happen, is that we incur cost mm. because we have to do stuff to, to enable us to preserve heritage status and then it gets taken away anyway. So hopefully that won't, won't happen. Well, and, to, and to be honest, yeah. from what we've... I mean, obviously yeah. you and I were there. Yeah, 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 when they, you know, the presentation was made and Everton intends to be very, very sympathetic yeah. in their development. Even the type of cobbles that are already there are going to be preserved yeah. uh, because they, they want to retain the status. You know, they, they want the history of the site. The dock walls will remain intact and they will be preserved forever. Uh, if Everton don't build a stadium there, what's going to happen to those dock walls? They'll fall down eventually. You know, yeah. somebody's there actually preserving them. Um, Everton's influence at that end of the docks can only be for the good, you know, the, the historical good of that site, you know, rather than for the worst. Do you think it's also getting to the point now where it's not just Everton fans, you know, obviously Mayor Johansson, big Everton fan, but I mean, whoever you support in, in this city... You've got to realise it. It's it's for the benefit of everyone. This this new stadium, in terms of jobs, and exactly. I just cannot see a, a downside to building exactly. this stadium. It's strange actually, because Mayor Anderson is just such a, a big and you know public blue that automatically makes people a bit suspicious. People you know who support yeah. Liverpool, and that's why that you know sort of funding vehicle that was suggested initially uh, attracted such criticism. I saw that as a no brainer. I mean, the city council was going to be getting seven and a half million quid's worth of interest every year yeah. to pump back into the city. Yeah, because people perceive that as being, you know, public funds being used to buy a private, uh, you know, enterprise. It was criticised. That looks like it's not going to happen now. It looks like it's going to be money, you know, to borrow from the private sector, which, okay, fine, so yes. But because, you know, so Mayor Anderson is such a big blow, people yeah. are automatically suspicious. They think he's doing it for personal motives rather than for the good of the city. And that's absolute nonsense. You know, yeah. he's, he's a politician, but, you know, he's doing it because it's going to create jobs. It's going to create investments. It's going to transform what is currently a derelict, you know, sort of part of North Merseyside into something vibrant and, and something bustling. Hopefully something akin to what is at the Albert Dock and, you know, so the the Echo Arena area of the docks now. And does this does all this kind of talk have make make you a little bit more excited? And, 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 and the stadium seems to just be picking up a little bit of momentum now, doesn't it? Yeah, well, as I me and Dave went to the presentation what, about a month ago, wasn't it something yeah. like that? And it was. It's easy to be cynical about these things beforehand, but I come away, you know, full of confidence yeah. and. Um, yeah, as you say, excitement, really, for want of a better word, about it, you know, because there's a, there's a hell of a lot of hard work that's gone on and, and will go on about this. And it's not be, it's not something that's been taken lightly or, you know, it's going to be uh, something that's going to be, hard, you know, half a job. It's 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 an, it's an immensely complex uh, project that we've got to satisfy many, many different stakeholders, of which, you know, what we're talking about here is just one of the things you've got to satisfy. Yeah. Um, you've got to satisfy fans, haven't you, as well? Um <laughs> 
And um, you cannot underestimate the, the, the commitments of the club to the project and the resources that have been deployed in, in making sure it happens. Um, and this is one one of the things, as Dave said, that the club is cognizant of. Um, and you know, I, I, I am the more the more I get into it, and more I, you know, the more you can see, you know, you can see the vision now. I think. I, th- I think what needs to be underlined as well is, is the bottom line is this world, this UNESCO, you know, so at risk status will not damage or impair Everton's ability to build a stadium at the Bramley Moor dock. Yeah. If for argument's sake, you know, it is actually called in uh, by the government, you know, so for investigation as a result of their concerns, it's an absolute no-brainer. The government will look at it and they will say exactly what we've just seen here. Yeah. There's going to be jobs created, there's going to be investment created, you know, against, you know, so a fancy title. Yeah. And so, you know, it's going to get the go-ahead, you know, so regardless of what UNESCO think. So I just like the people at UNESCO to actually appreciate, you know, so quite how hard Everton are trying to actually preserve the historical yeah, and, and also aspect. that is the Goodness and Legacy Project is another well, key I, part another of that one, as well, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. Like, you know, so yeah. it's not as if Everton is just deserting L4, you know. Yeah. There's, there's a legacy uh, there as well. So, yeah, I've not, I've not, I'm not particularly worried at the moment uh, about it, to be honest with you. And yesterday, Andre Gomez faced the media for the first time as a as a permanent Everton player. And Dave, he was asked about his time at, at Barcelona and, and, and joining Everton. And I thought he kind of came across quite well in in terms of when he was asked about how, you know, I think you wrote it when he first signed about how he kind of said he was in a in a, a sort of hell when he was at Barcelona. He was asked about how he di- he will now deal with the pressure differently, and he says. Right now, the big difference is the way I enjoy more of the simple things, the training sessions, how many times I'll go to the gym, the times I'm with my teammates in the hotel, times I'm with my family and the games. It's all about enjoying it more. When you enjoy it and you're happy, you will give all your best and be at a high level. If I have a bad day, everyone has a bad day and you have to be truthful to yourself and say I had a bad day. Next one will be better and I will try to be better. Do you think words like that coming from a, a 25-year-old player who you know probably hasn't hit his peak levels yet, it's... It's good to see, really, isn't it? Definitely. He sounds settled. He sounds at home. He sounds like he's found somewhere where he feels like he belongs. Yeah. You know, Barcelona is such a wonderful football club, but it's it's an absolute, you know, sort of behemoth. It, it, it's enormous, you know, and it's so easy to be lost in that big machine. And, uh, you know, Everson's still a huge football club themselves, but not on that kind of scale. Uh, and I think he's finding, you know, the, the greater familial aspect of Everson Football Club more to his liking. Um, you know, I wouldn't say he's a big fish in a small pond, you know, so far from it, but he just, yeah. he seems altogether more at home. And hopefully that means that he will produce better performances as a result of that because he feels settled, he feels happy, the pressure's off a little bit. Different pressure being created now, you know, so now that he's a permanent, you know, so acquisition and we've seen what he is capable of, you know, so on a fair number of occasions last season, he's now got to do that consistently. And, you know, as we've spoken about many times in the stream, he's got to improve on certain mm. aspects of his game and he gets that, you know, he understands it. Uh, but, you know, I'm delighted they've signed him. You know, for me, he was like such a breath of fresh air last season. He was, for me, he was the priority. Yeah. Uh, they've actually nailed that. They've got him on board. He's spoken very well. Uh, so, yeah, you know, onwards and upwards. And Gavi also kind of spoke about being happy to take on a, a you know, he was asked people are going to kind of look to him next season to be a, a leader in that team and, and, you know, to be an important player in, in that central midfield area. Do, do you think he'll be able to handle that that kind of... Pressure, 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 yeah. pressure, responsibility, yeah, absolutely. You know, you're going to see the clubs he's played for. You know, I mean, I know it wasn't a happy time at Barcelona, but if Barcelona buy you, you've got to have something, yeah, something about you. You know, and I, I suspect the other thing, I mean, Barcelona's you know 
gobbled up and spat out far bigger and more expensive players than Gomez, you know, one across the park, <laughs> you know, we can think of, to be fair. So I'm not particularly too worried about that aspect of it. Um, I think, yeah, I don't want to go on about, you know, what I expect from him next year. Um, but you do, again, me and Prano sound like old fogies again, maybe because we are, <laughs> is I can think of countless examples of players come on loan who've been really good, but as soon as they become permanent, they've, uh, they've not so... Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, they've not, not, they've not reached the same height. So it's slightly different now because loan periods tend to be longer. Um, but equally, it's been the counter. There's been yeah, those been good. Uh, Gareth Barry and Romelu yeah. Lukaku who've actually gone even to bigger and better yeah. things. Well, than they've was on loan, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was the last yeah. I think, was he originally... Um, so I think, I think I, I've, I've not got a problem that he's got the the, the mentality uh, to do it. Um, it's just been interesting to see what role he plays, um, and he will be judged differently, as Preno says. And, and I'm looking for him to be, you know, one of our main players next year. But there will be more pressure on him, uh, definitely. And Preno, Phil, Phil has just wrote while we're while we're in here today about five players returning to to preseason on Monday. After the kind of friendly in Kenya, and we'll have Jordan Pickford, Seamus Coleman, Lucas Dean, Gilfie Sigurdsson, and Michael Keane all back in training on Monday. Do you think is that a long enough break that that they'll have had? Do, do you think there's that kind of risk of a World Cup and then internationals and, and a couple of weeks off and, and back to training, or are you confident that these modern pros won't have a problem getting no, sick? I mean, I think the, the bigger problem nowadays. I mean, physically, uh, the players don't really have that much of an issue nowadays. It's not like, you know, where they'd have seven or eight weeks off and come back and, you know, be told that a stone overweighs and going to start doing, you know, this, that and the other. I mean, some of the uh, social media clips that we've seen, and we know players can be a bit disingenuous at times, you know, showing pictures of them training on holiday <laughs> when it's just a little jog around the, uh, you know, so around, around the holiday, you know, as a result that they are. But players do seem to do, as I saw one of Theo Walcott the other, other day, doing some very serious sprints, you know, so while he was on holiday uh, with his family. So fitness isn't an issue. I think it's... It, it's the emotional break because it is a pressurised environment, you know, so top-level football. Yeah. Uh, getting the break from that is important. And, you know, I think two or three weeks is probably ample, but, you know, obviously those players have had more. So I think they come back refreshed with a, you know, slightly different mindset. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's certainly long enough. We've seen pictures of Gilfie, you know, so getting hitched while he was away <laughs> and uh, looking like he's enjoying life. Uh, so, yeah, he'll be absolutely, you know, so relaxed and raring to go. So, yeah, I think that I think that's plenty long enough. Obviously, Preno's a, a big Gilfie Sigurdsson fan. Gav, do you think after the way you performed last season, certainly in terms of goals and assists, do you think this is kind of honing in, shaping up to be his, his biggest season yet at Everton? Um, that's a good question. Well, I'd be fair back to what Gomez's role is going to be, whether that means that Sigurdsson plays maybe a slightly different uh, role. Um, yeah, Gilfie, Gilfie's a class, class player, isn't he? I mean, he's a player who... Uh, He's not going to run the game for for it. What what you what you guarantee with Sigerson, I think, is he's going to provide two or three moments of real quality during the course of a game. He's not, but he, he won't be involved in the game. Him, you know, like on a ninety minute basis. He reminds me a little bit of when he was good. Deli Ali is a bit like that. It's like you wouldn't see Deli Ali during a game at mm-hmm. all. Yeah, although he's younger, but he'll provide two or th- three moments of quality. And Sigerson's like that. And last season. You know, he, most games at some point he had an impact. Abbey, you know, a goal, assist, good, you know, good opportunity. Uh, and um, I'm looking for for the same this year, as a, as a minimum. But what I'm looking for is the people around him to contribute uh, more because 
for 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 striker to be for someone that's not a striker for them to be relying on like a lot of our goals and stuff is a bit of a worry. We need to get all the players uh, to 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 start hitting hitting more. I think. Do you think that needs to be the the next man in through through the door, Preno? Would you like to see a striker this summer? Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I know there's various you know sort of priorities being labelled this season, but for me. <sighs> The players are all played across, you know, so the front line, you know, so they did all right. But, you know, there are still clearly areas for improvement, certainly down the right, especially. Um, I personally would have liked to have seen, you know, so a proper striker. Yeah. Know, so not an old-fashioned centre-forward, but a striker, a man who scores 20 goals a season. I know those kind of players cost 70 and 80 million and, like, they're difficult to identify. Uh, but you know somebody to, to replace the Romelu Lukaku who never has been replaced yet. Yeah, uh, it sounds like Marcus Silva has a different mindset. You know, so he wants similar to you know the other shot across the park in that respect that he wants the slightly more fluid front three players that can interchange and that can move. I'm, I'm fine. You know, so I'm comfortable with that. Uh, but uh, that forward that is brought in, I'd like to see somebody with a good proven goals record. Yeah, somebody that you know you can rely on to get you know 15, maybe more rather than somebody to pitch in with another 10 and hope to spread it around, you know, so the rest of the squad. Whether that will happen, I don't know. But yeah, Is that, I, is I that think... the transfer conundrum that Everton find themselves in, though, that proven strikers are probably more likely to join a, a Man United or a Man City? And, and even now, you know... Well, they are. Or want to leave Everton like Lukaku did, you know. Yeah. So it, it's difficult. You've got to try and, you know, find these players when they're emerging, which yeah. is where Marcel Brands comes in, you know, so there's contacts worldwide players that haven't quite, you know, so reached that level yet. That, you know, so like that's I think that's why they spent so much on Richarlison, because they identified somebody that's very young that had, you know, a, a success rate already, but had an opportunity to improve. And it's why it was what was a very hefty transfer if he was criticized at the time, but no one criticizes it now because he had such a great you know debut season. Talking about uh, you know, so sort of breaks and you know, so sort of, you know, re- release from pressure and all that. That concerns me a little bit that he's still playing now, you know, so over at the Copa America. Yeah, and, you know, so his, and, he, and he played again last summer. You know, so he's, yeah. not, he's not had a break for a long time now. And it sounds like, you know, he's going to come back after a couple of weeks break. But I don't know. He's young, you know, so he's enthusiastic, you know, so maybe he can handle it better than some of the uh, slightly more seasoned pros. We'll have to wait and see. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. So I've saved this bit towards, towards the end because I know you two are, are going to like this little... Throwback, throwback <laughs> bit. Everton's new kit was released this week. Where does it rank for you two in terms of all these classic Everton kits we've had down the years? And, and, and do you like it? Do you is happy to see a bit of Archibald Leash history incorporated into, I, I, the, into the top? I don't mind it. I quite like it. Uh, funny enough, Alan Myers uh, put up a tweet yesterday with their four kits oh, and uh, that, yeah. asking you to put them in order. And, you know, it won't surprise anybody to know that I went for the... Uh, uh, the Latchford late seventies, early eighties one the first blue and white blue with the white V neck, yeah, and yeah. then um, followed by the uh, Alan Ball kit from nineteen seventy, and then a couple of the more recent ones. Uh, I like kits to be simple, you know, so just simple but classy. Yeah, this one's okay. I mean, you say the Archibald Leach nod. I'm glad somebody explained that to me because if I was looking at it, I wouldn't have thought Archibald yeah, Leach yeah, crisscrossed yeah. straight away. Yeah. It just appears to be like a couple of you know pale blue. Yeah, when we first went into the room to, to yeah. get the sneak peek the night before, I kind of looked at it and I was kind of thinking, "Is it? It's yeah. not. It's not totally kind of." No, it's okay. I mean, sometimes you'll see a kit. I, I rem- I'm reminded actually when uh, when Michael Dunford was the Everton uh, was his CEO or club secretary at the time and invited me in uh, to see the kit before it was announced the following day, and it was the 1997-98 kit. And I just took one look at it and I thought, it's not blue, Michael. He says, 
but but it is blue and it wasn't it was like a washed out pale blue with a bit of yellow and that that appalled me that one I just I just hated it yeah. straight from the off um, sometimes ones will hit you and you think oh wow that's classy I like that yeah. uh, normally away kits for some strange reason you know so yeah. that, that famous salmon and blue one you oh, know, saw that straight yeah, away yeah, and yeah. thought oh I'm having that yeah. <laughs> this one it's alright yeah you know I don't dislike it I don't you know, I'm not massively you know sort of taken by it but you know I'm of an age now where I'm never going to buy a kit to play five a side in so you know, it doesn't what, really what, what, is, what is the best Everton strip of all time in, in your eyes again it's all governed by your youth yeah. I mean, if, if you're talking the best case, Peru 78 World Cup, full stop. That is sensational. Simplicity, you know, just white with that red sash across yeah, the middle. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Uh, Cagliari's around about that era wasn't too bad either. Uh, but no, the best of ever. The, the one that I had as a kid that I loved the best was uh, the 77, 78. It was blue. It had like the uh, the V-neck, uh, but it had those Umbro diamonds, if you recall. Down the side. Down the side of the shirt and on the side of the shorts. And that was like, wow. You know, so how avant-garde was that? You know, so having, uh, having like sort of diamonds down the shorts and uh, I used to wear that for the match with all kinds of jumpers on underneath and in the days you had a scarf off each wrist and you know, sort of one round your neck I must have looked like a right tramp but you know so, um, that, that was the kit that I most you know sort of enjoyed but you know I can understand those people that also strongly endorsed the 19 and 69 71 but for me the best kiss of that era wasn't that because it was the away kiss. The way Amber and oh, Blue. Yeah, that was classic. That was, that was nice, magnificent. That was nice. What yeah. a great kit that was. So go on, Gaff, what was yours? Yeah. Uh, just what you know, the 97 98 one was that when somebody got in touch with Echo to say that they got the stripes the wrong way down, yeah, and they had yeah. them as well. Yeah, there yeah. Was, was red in them, there was red yeah. in the one to one logo, and they had to try and take them out. Yeah, and, oh. yeah, it's mad that, yeah, yeah. Well, I did have the 69 70 kit and a pair of Alan Ball white boots, right? So, uh, and, he, and that is the only Everton kit I've ever possessed because yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just not a kit, uh, no. kit uh, fanatic, if you pardon the, the pun, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, again, favorite one, I think the, the amber. Yeah. The amber and blue shorts and uh, yeah. amber socks is just my favourite Everton kit. Yeah. But also, like, mid-80s one, you know, 84, 85 would get there. But I've always liked our away kit, blue sh- blue shirt, blue shorts, white socks. I always think that that's... A, I, yeah, I don't know I like why. That I, that's always been a good kit. The silver away kit was good as well, wasn't it? I you wasn't know? sure about that I liked one. that one, yeah. yeah. But I'm, I'm pretty... It doesn't really bother me like kits. Um, yeah. I appreciate you've got a if you've got a modern audience that you've got to uh, sort of satisfy, um, which again might compromise some some things. But um, it doesn't really matter to me as you know as long as they're winning. Uh, I, I, in more recent years, I like the one with the little Dixie Dean silhouette. Yeah, on the, on the that, nice. yeah, that, yeah, that was quite a classy nod. Yeah, but go on, you're going to say something much more recent, aren't you? Well, I was just going to say that for me, it's always been kits that we've been good in have become my favourite. Like sure. even now, yeah. I think that that badge that we changed to for the one season has became like a, a, a cult symbol, hasn't it? Because mm. we were so good. Yeah. Our record number of points in the Premier League, I thought that kit was nice. The one we finished fourth in was nice and simple. But then, for example, you know the kit we finished seventeenth in. And it was almost made like cardboard, wasn't it? That's a fair point, actually, because everyone slaughters the 85, 86 bib kit. Yeah. And I, I suspect that's because of what it reminds them of. You know, yeah. So that yeah. you know, near misses in both competitions. I think if we'd have won the league in the cup that year, people probably would have loved, loved it. it. Yeah. 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 Because I think you, you also then, in hindsight, don't you? You see the, the pictures of people lifting cups or, yeah. you know, Famous games you can remember winning and, and stuff like that. And, you know, even that, that kit we wore in the Coombe and Allardyce season, I just think is one of the worst Everton kits <laughs> I've ever seen. It just looks like yeah. A, yeah. a training top. Prenno was well yesterday. 
the captain, the skipper of Everton, 12 years, Phil Jogielka, nice. returned home to Sheffield United. Please, please fulfil. Delighted, yeah. I mean, it's uh, the, the kind of move I think he would have hoped for. You know, so yeah. obviously he wanted to stay at Everton, you know, sort of a little bit longer. It didn't pan out. So, you know, it, it's come full circle for him now. He's gone back to where he's from, you know, so he's, he's highly regarded there, you know, so they, they like him already. Uh, no pressure on him whatsoever. And I think he'll do well for them. You know, he's the experience that they need. You know, yeah. so a promoted team always needs, you know, so somebody who's got knowledge of what the Premier League's all about. And clearly he has a um, bit of a cult hero there already. And I just hope he plays, you know, sort of a significant number of matches for them because the only issue at Everton in recent years has been his fitness record. You know, he's not been able to play as often as he would have liked. And when he has featured, he's done well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, all, fair play to him. It's a good move for him. I hope it works out for him. And, uh, well, we've talked about it before. It looks like the testimony is not going to happen now, does it? But, you know. Uh, do you know what? I, I, I'm not too sure. You know, I think there could be a, a chance of, obviously, this summer, there was no good or some friendly, was there? Do, do you think there yeah. could be something down the line? Or do you think you, you, you kind of missed that boat? I think it's gone now. I mean, because uh, obviously Baines, he's got one more year, so he yeah. would be the next in line. And, you know, I totally accept that footballers don't need the testimonials nowadays. Yeah. The reason you do them is because you raise money for charity. And, you know, so Everton and the community could, you know, so raise a sizable sum of money by, you know, hosting a charity, uh, hosting a testimonial match. So, yeah, you know, maybe do one for Baines next summer and invite Jags back as a guest of honour. You know, so do it as like, not, yeah. not a joint testimonial, but, you know, at least have him there in some capacity. Maybe that's food for thought for next summer. Sheffield United, I think, is our second home game of the season. Do you think he'll get... He'll be getting booed from the rafters, Jags, won't he? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. No, he, he'll get a great reception. He'll get a, get a great yeah. reception. Yeah. I mean, he's been a... I think I tweeted after he said they would go on that. He's been a, a credit to his profession and his, his club and well, both clubs, Jags, and in terms of the way he's handled himself. And he, he's, he's a real old school type attitude. Phil Jaggy Elker, isn't he, which I've, I've always liked. Um, the one sort of sort of shame for me in his career was that he got that bad injury when he was just reaching his peak yeah. Yeah. and I think in 2009 and you forget how that 2008-9 season him especially but Lescott were, f- were formidable uh, centre-halves and I, I'll always remember his two games at Anfield in the league and, and FA Cup went against Peak Peak Torres and Gerrard and he was he was brilliant in both uh, brilliant in both matches and that's what I'll, I'll take from his Everton career and you know it makes a lot of sense going back to Sheffield United and I think he'll be obviously a big influence probably more off the pitch than on it and, and good luck to him he's a, he's, a, he's a credit to to everybody he's been involved with to be honest with you do you think because he was just kind of a, a quiet you know model professional do you think you know, this, this is still a player who's captained England, which is no mean feat in a career. Do you think... The only the, Everson footballers who have done so. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Do, do you think there was a point maybe when he was one of the best central defenders in in the Premier League? And obviously we're still playing at a time when you, a your visitors and your Ferdinand were about. But no, there was he's a, had some career, hasn't he? There was a spell when he was up there. Um, I mean, Arsenal tried to sign him, didn't they? You know, so four or five years ago, maybe. You know, yeah. So again, when he was absolutely at his peak. He's one of those players that's quite undemonstrative and... People underestimate the qualities that he has. Whenever Everson did the sprinting, you know, so tests at the uh, training yard, he was always the, one of the quickest players there. <laughs> and people don't appreciate that. They think, well, Jags is an old-fashioned, steady centre-half. He isn't, you know, so he's quick, he's modern, you know, so he, he reads the game very, very well. So, yeah, he probably was underestimated. And that thing about him being undemonstrative, you know, 
he might have come across as a quiet person, but he wasn't off the pitch. You know, so he was very vocal with his teammates. I'm always reminded of the, uh, you know, the Ross Barkley coming off at Wembley at half-time in the Man United semi-final, uh, thinking that he's getting booed by the crowd. And, uh, mm. you know, um, Phil Evans to pull him to one side and saying, Roscoe, Roscoe, they're not booing you. You know, he, was, he had a real influence, you know, so in that dressing room. Yeah. Uh, so... I don't think he was underestimated by Evertonians, uh, but, you know, so maybe by, you know, the, the general public at large, but we could make that argument about Everton full stop, couldn't we? You know, so yeah. anybody that performs well at Everton doesn't quite get the national profile that <laughs> they deserve if they play for, you know, some of the London media darlings, but that, that's just a loss, unfortunately. Do you think maybe that is something that, you know, the last few years we haven't really been able to give a, a proper send-off to people like your Hibberts and your Osmond, Osmond Kale, Jagielka? Is that oh, something you'd like to see? Or? Oh, I don't know. Hibbert got a proper send-off, didn't he? You know, he he's, he's scored but... against Eddie Kale, didn't he? Tim Kale, no, he didn't. I mean, Came back, didn't he, on Moyes' last yeah. game? He did. I mean, f- football, unfortunately, is not sentimental. Um, yeah. You know, so it, it's a very, very cynical business at times. And, you know, football is well enough rewarded to have to accept that. And in an ideal world, yes, it would be nice if they were allowed to say farewell, possibly. We actually managed to, you know, so commandeer a Sylvan Distan farewell because he wasn't being played before that with Roberto Martinez. I remember writing a piece at the time that, you know, so surely he should be allowed to come back into the team for the final game of the season, at least to say his yeah. farewells. That's just, a Bournemouth game. Yeah, it just yeah. generated a bit of momentum. And I think, you know, eventually, you know, so Roberto did relent and yeah. he came on. And, and that, that was decent because he was, you know, there for quite some seasons, Sylvan Distan. Yeah. And was a great, uh, a great mm. servant to the club, but it doesn't happen very often. I remember when Duncan Ferguson went, and uh, I think everybody knew that was his final game. And uh, certainly, he had the flag on the pitch. Well, at the exactly, end, and the, the last kick of the match, uh, you know, against West Brom, when he, when he missed the penalty and then put the rebound in. You yeah, know, the, the celebrations indicated that most people expected that to be his final game, but the club hadn't made an announcement similar to Phil Jagielka until it was later that. And I know Duncan at the time spoke out and said he was disappointed that he wasn't given the opportunity to say a proper farewell. Yeah, and I know it hadn't being announced as such but people, yeah, knew, people knew people knew it was his farewell so you know sometimes the circumstances can be quite blurred and it can be you know so difficult it, it doesn't bother me that much yeah. you know, so Phil Jagielka will come back next season the fans will make him aware of how much they think of him yeah. I'm thinking of you know in the past players who have been sold you know so Rooney Rosinski well exactly well, yeah. well no I mean obviously the fans <laughs> made their feelings to Wayne Rooney them very 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 quickly I'm thinking of a long long time ago when Duncan McKenzie who was a crowd hero uh, was sold and uh, sold to Chelsea much against the fans' wishes. And uh, he came back. Gordon Lee was a manager who sold him, and he came back to for, for Chelsea. Um, scored for 20 minutes for Chelsea and the crowd went ballistic <laughs> and they, they celebrated they chanted and you know so chanting the Gordon they've never seen scenes like it it was absolutely bizarre so you know I'm Everson won fortunately in the end 3-2 uh, but you know the fans will make you aware somehow you know so what they think about you Andy Gray when he was sold in 85 much against his wishes um, and much against the fans wishes as well although they were buying Gary Lineker a World Cup top goal, you know, so goal scorer a future, future uh, World didn't, Cup goal scorer but Andy Gray you know it was the summer you know, so he was famously, you know, so getting a cooker fitted in his new house in Formie when Howard walked into his front room and said, Andy, tell him to stop doing that. And, he said, and Andy realised then that he was being sold. And his, his reaction was, oh no, gaffer. And he'd been told he was going. So he went before the fans could say farewell. And so we got inundated with letters here, absolutely tons and tons of letters, you know, so wish Andy Gray well, want to wish Andy Gray well. In the end, he couldn't reply to them all personally. So he used the pages of the Echo to send, you know, so a thank you message to all of those supporters who wished him well. So fans will find a way. They, yeah. they will let you know if you're appreciated. And now in the social media age, it's not difficult, is it? That Fergus, one that you mentioned, funnily enough, was probably... The only time I think I've ever seen the whole lower Gladys just crying. Grown men <laughs> in tears. 
My dad oh, included it. They need to get a backbone, grow up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the one that recent vintage, Stephen Naismith, wasn't he? He scored, yeah, didn't yeah. he? He got like scored, a stand ovation. And scored get, for Norwich. He got knocked out by Norwich, didn't he? Like yeah. Duncan McKenzie scored for Chelsea, yeah. didn't he? You yeah. Know, but yeah, I think, you know, they ain't far too much money to get sentimental about these things. Yeah. Um, and it's not, it's, it's, it's a modern, it's one of these modern things that's drifted into the, into the game, you know. Uh, and I, it doesn't really bother me. Don't uh, celebrate your goals. Do you think Jags won't celebrate if you yeah, put the header in down near park end? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was thinking that this morning on my way to work. I was thinking if Jagielka did score, and it, you know, God forbid it was a winner, it'd be difficult not to celebrate, wouldn't it? He wouldn't, wouldn't do a cartwheel anymore, I think. <laughs> no, no. But what a, what a saving to, to Everton Football Club he's been. And, um, you know, he's, he's, been, he's been brilliant for us over, what, 12 years? But we've got to talk about, like, Bad starts. I mean, when he first started, yeah, he, was, he, he was played shaky, back and he played defensive Set, midfield, centre mid. Yeah, yeah, that was just bizarre. Was the, yeah. Remember, it was, like, it was the derby, and I think it was Jackson, Phil Neville, centre yeah. mid. Yeah, the classic boys. Uh, he he took. He was the one who took three or four months to sort of get into the uh, get into the team. He was only scored in Europe, didn't he? he was at Alkmaar, mm, and he yeah. sort of like that. He kicked, that really kicked on from then. But he was another one who took going back to Gomez. Took took three or four months to settle at the club. And if you think that was a bad central midfield partnership, Davy Weir and David Unsworth, the Blackburn and the Walter Smith era, yeah. and they won Born, two yeah. one. Back <laughs> yeah. We had played centre mid. Oh, yeah. it was mad. I think he actually had seven centre backs on the pitch that night in the starting eleven. It was absolutely bizarre team selection, but it worked. Yeah, it was when it was that Bakayoko scored both goals. Didn't Indeed, he, didn't he? Yeah. And funnily enough, someone mentioned today going off on mad tangents here today, but um, you know, Paul Ryder was one of those Twitter things that somebody put out there saying, you know, so was he one of the most underrated Everton players? Everyone remembers the cup final winner but he yeah. did a lot more than that and I referenced the fact that his final game uh, he'd been told he was going to China you know, he'd, he'd engineered a move to China which was very lucrative yeah. uh, and Dave Watson put the kibosh on it he was caretaker manager at the time he said no you can't You know, so we've got three or four important games left we're still at risk of going down not significant risk but there was a possibility uh, we played Spurs at home and so he said you can't go to China you know, I'm sorry you're going to have to wait you're going to have to you know, sort of delay it so he was very unhappy about that but you know, agreed to do that stayed was played in centre mid against Spurs when Gary Speed scored the winner he was man of the match spraying balls around everywhere absolutely top <laughs> professional performance then left the ground on the back of a motorbike as a pillion passenger <laughs> to get to Manchester airport in time to fly to China so that was an unusual central midfield selection yeah, yeah. but it but it worked and yeah he was, uh, he was a good player we made memories Paul Ryder I mean, was, was it a schoolboy wasn't he Paul Ryder that famous remember, goal like, for yeah, yeah, schoolboys yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that, that, that's shown to me that would be like he scored, he scored against now. Everson in the semi-final in '84, yeah, yeah, the League Cup yeah. semi-final. But yeah, he, he did a good job for Evan. He scored, a, scored a few goals for us as well. Mm-hmm. Well, just to finish, then customary on a Friday afternoon podcast to look ahead to the game of the weekend. Preno scores on the doors, twenty-two nil. Not going to ask us prediction <laughs> for Kenya. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea, but it's, uh, Everson will win two-one. Because they did last time. That's what the soul, yeah. you know, yeah. so bumpy, bumpy. science behind that I've one. I've seen that I've agreed with Prado all everything on the uh, podcast. Uh, I'm going to have to. Well, I agree with the go bit, but I go, No, I go three one just to be different. Yeah. I go five nil, and we'll see. We'll oh, see who's right in yourself. Well, thank you very much for joining us, everyone. We hope you have a good weekend and join us early next week for your latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.